to season two of Inside My Canoe Head, a podcast about individual emergency preparedness, living through a pandemic, reinventing yourself, and chasing adventure. My name is Jeff. Thanks for joining us today, and let's get to it. So welcome back. I hope you're all having a great day. Listen, every once in a while, I get some really great feedback that comes in, and somebody really pointed this out to me the other day. Um, and, and what they thought the word preparedness and the preparedness movement meant was something completely different than what I was thinking. And it made me actually pause because this individual's pretty well educated, shall we say, both in the traditional academic sense and has a long, long career in, in emergency search and rescue. And it just came to me and dawned to me that I'm on this uh, podcast weekly or sometimes a little bit less or more frequent than that, talking about the idea of preparedness, but I've never really taken the time to sit down and define it as I understand it and to put the definition in the lexicon of words that exist that surround this thing called preparedness. And what I mean by the lexicon is, we've talked about this earlier on, we see words like disaster and emergency. And a lot of people like to use those words interchangeably but in fact, they're not interchangeable. And this is the difficulty we face at times simply because you will use the word disaster in a way that works for you, in a way that you are familiar in using it. But then you come across another human being who doesn't use the word in the same way. And to them, it means something different. So often what traditionally happens is you have some level of academia who puts out a formal definition of a word. And that's where you get into arguments with people when they say, well, the word means this. And you say, in fact, it doesn't. This is what it means. I mean, you find disaster in the Merriam's Dictionary or Webster's Dictionary. It's not the same definition that you're going to find in academic literature. So the, the difficulty we have is like, what is preparedness, right? What does it cover? So, you know, if you're an individual who is looking to become prepared, better able to manage the disruptions of life, what, what do you know, what are you trying to actually achieve? And so I thought I would take some time today and just explain from my personal perspective, what preparedness is for me, what it means for me and stay a bit away from the academic definitions. I mean, I'll throw a couple of them in there just for, for reference, but in reality, I'm not an individual who is ever gonna spend any time arguing with you when you use a word. I'm just gonna tell you what it means to the genre. I'm gonna tell you what it means to academia. I'll tell you what it means to me, but I'm not gonna to try to correct you. That's a level of arrogance that I choose not to go to most times. So we'll just leave it at that. So for me, preparedness is pregame. So if you look traditionally in disaster and emergency management, which is the formal field of academic and professional study, we call it DEM or disaster and emergency management, there are four pillars. The first two are mitigation and preparedness. Think of that as your pregame workout shake, okay? That's the stuff you take out before you work out. It's the things you do before you show up at the gym. It's the things you do before you show up for a presentation. It's all the work that you put in to be ready to do whatever task it is that presents yourself ahead of time. So that's preparedness and mitigation. That's your pregame. The other half, which is the, the most well-known and understood part of disaster and emergency management, is your post-event. 
So these are your response and recovery. That's your lights, your sirens, your search and rescue, your CNN hits, all of the international aid that's coming in post-disaster. Then you have the recovery phase, which is your long-term build back butter, which nobody actually does, but everybody likes to talk about it. It's actually the least understood and the least well-executed part of disaster emergency management. But that being said, if you, if you think it in a sports analogy, it's a pre and post game thing, event, call it the event, whatever it is, that thing that's going to disrupt society, the preparedness is your pre stuff. It's what you do before an event. It's what you do to get ready so that when an event happens or if an event happens, you are going to be in a better position to be able to manage through the event to the recovery stage. So preparedness is not your recovery stage. It's not about recovering from an event. That's not preparedness. Preparedness is about everything that you do to be ready for the event and then your ability to navigate all of the landmines and everything else that happens during an event. And let's use a significant one as an example. Say you live in a standard North American suburban urban environment and you get hit with an earthquake. You're going to have things occur. You're going to shake, rattle, roll. Stuff's going to fall off shelves. Your building may be somewhat damaged. There may be a gas or water line break. You're going to have to potentially do some first aid. There may be a couple of days in there where you're going to be a li little bit wonky on where you might be staying or whether your house is safe to return to, whether you've got an engineer to look at it, whether the insurance agent, you number house number 347 on their list to see that year, or, or you know, maybe you've got family separated in different places and a whole myriad of things. We could go on for hours on the potential things that could occur when a major disruption happens. The idea of preparedness is is you think your way through most of the things that could possibly happen before they're happening. You mentally mind map, what am I going to do when this happens? Now, you, you, you can't think, well, I'm going to turn left, I'm going to turn right. No, it's not that level of finite detail. So think of it at the MISO level. So we're not talking micro, we're not talking macro. Think of it at the MISO level, which means you're thinking in fairly specific generalities. So for example, in my last episode, I talked about one of the 10 steps to preparedness in a really quick and dirty way is knowing where you're going to go when you have to evacuate. Now, it doesn't matter why you're evacuating your house. If in the unlikely event you need to evacuate your house, where are you going to go? By having that destination predetermined and one or two alternate routes there, then when an event happens that forces you to evacuate, you already know where you're going to go. Your family members know where you're going to go. And most importantly, the location you're going to know knows that you're on their way, but you never have to call. And generally, we talk about family and friends. So my alternate destination for this house, if I have to go somewhere, is a friend of mine's house. He's about two hours, two hour and 15 minute drive away from where I live. He knows I'm coming if something significant happens in the city. I don't need to call him. I don't need to tell him. 
he knows to expect my car to come up his driveway and he's prepared to receive me. And we have a reciprocal arrangement, the same thing here. If something happens in his town, he's about two hours and 15 minutes away, I'm ready. I know he's coming, I'm getting the gear out, I'm preparing the space for him and his loved ones in my house and I don't need a phone call or a text to advise that it's happening. It's not that difficult, it doesn't cost any money and it takes a bit of time. But when you take that decision out of the moment, then everything else you do at that moment is that much easier, is that much less stressful. So you can concentrate on physically gathering your family and evacuating without trying to figure out simultaneously where the heck you're going to go. Or you get caught in the idea of mass evacuation to one of these government-run reception centers where, thank you very much, I'm a libertarian. That is where I'll go if I have no other place in the face of this planet to go. But let's be frank, that's not where I'm intending to go whatsoever. So the point being is, is that's an idea of preparedness. Another idea is I understand that in today's modern society, I can't be self-sufficient. Far too often people talk about self-sufficiency. In my mind, self-sufficiency means you do not require outside assistance to carry on with normal life operations. Um, I can't do that. I need the internet to put these podcasts out. I need the internet to have my online business that I work with clients is all done over the internet. I'm not self-sufficient because I don't have my own internet service. Uh, I live, I've said many times in a townhouse, I physically don't have the space to grow sufficient food to feed my family. Therefore, I require some type of food delivery or access service, call it a grocery store, call it a market, to feed my family. Now, what I do is I become more of a self-reliant individual. And to me, self-reliance is I'm entrusting me with the responsibility to ensure that I am fed, which means I mitigate, there's that word from the pregame, pillar of disaster emergency management, I mitigate the risk that I face because of food by making sure I have multiple sources of food. I have local sources of food. None of the food that I consume as a human being comes from California. So while I feel really, really bad about the droughts that are hitting the southwest of the United States of America, none of my nourishment comes from there absolutely zero. So I have mitigated my exposure to that set of risks by making sure that all of my food is supplied via local means, or if it's external to local, and traditional local is what, 100 miles, 160 kilometers, I don't care, you, you decide where your circle is, it doesn't matter to me. The point is, is that if I have to go outside local for some type of food that I want as part of my nutrition, I make sure that that has some type of reliance built into it. And so that's the idea of self-reliance, which means it self-reliance doesn't mean I'm doing more for myself. It means I take the responsibility to ensure that I have access to, and by adding risk mitigation, by having multiple sources for pretty much everything that I need, we're good to go. So I can run this podcast and my online business 
from my smartphone. I don't need a computer. So I can use the data on my smartphone as long as the cellular network works if my fiber optic cable internet at home fails for whatever reason. I have duplicate ability to run. Things are run slightly differently, sure, but it's possible to do that. So you see sometimes people will take the words self-reliance and self-sufficient and use them interchangeably, but to me I see them as two separate and distinct things. There are some people who have achieved a level of self-sufficiency for their basic animalistic requirements, but my argument is, is that nobody that I have met has the ability to be self-sufficient yet remaining engaged with a modern urban and suburban internet connected and modern environment. And that's the environment I choose to live in. I have no desire to run off into the woods with a couple of solar panels and a yurt. Not me, not at all. There are some people to do it and all the power to you. But the point that I'm making is, is that if I want to be a member of the modern and urban society, I'm more self-reliant than most simply because I've figured out ways to do things multiple ways. And in preparedness, we see things related a lot to the word redundancy. Now, I had a military career in supply chain management, multiple certifications. In the Army, we'd always have something called a safety stock. Something because just-in-time delivery that you see in the corporate sector works very, very well. And you can time it down to the hour. And a lot of people spend millions of dollars to be able to do that. And it's exceptional. And you have a disruption in it. And so we just have a sidelining of a certain type of uh, you know supply chain or, or some type of production line that no longer is functioning for a short period of time because of the shortage of a singular part service or something along that lines. They get it restocked, they're back up, and they're running. When you run an army, obviously, you can't run out of beans, bullets, or gas. Otherwise, they'll probably shoot you before they start to shoot the enemy again. So the point being is, is that in preparedness, we have a redundancy, which means that's our safety stock. What The, the things that people buy, and you know how I rant on the the total lack of need to buy a whole bunch of crap to be prepared, a safety stock already exists. So like if, if you didn't go to the grocery store for the next three days, I have a high standard of belief that you will survive. The likelihood of you losing a family member to starvation is low. You'll be okay. You might be a little uncomfortable. You might not like your choices, but you already have some type of redundancy built into your food supply you have a water supply just because you usually you have a bunch of drinks around the house in various forms. Um, you have a first aid kit. It's probably nothing more than a band, some Band-Aid and some antiseptic ointment, maybe a couple of Advil and a Tums every once in a while. The point being is that you have a lot of these things already. The idea of redundancy and preparedness is that if you build them up a little bit, then you have yourself a safety period. So when, a, when something occurs, we call it, a, I call it a disruption all the time. So if a disruption occurs in your system of life and the way you run normal life operations and a disruption occurs, you have a safety stock of a various bunch of things built in. So you can weather that disruption better than somebody who didn't. And that's where preparedness works. So it's not that you can navigate a nuclear fallout. It's that you have the ability to navigate and manage your way through a disruption like a lockdown for a week because of a new pandemic 
you had the food. So while you were navigating and trying to figure out what was going on in the world, your family and the people you're responsible for were not starving to death. And you have the ability to deal with headache, dehydration, nausea, diarrhea, and those basic things through stuff in your house. You don't have to pack up your family, your child, or whomever, and take them to the emergency room when they're running a fever. You have the ways to deal with that in your residence. So preparedness just means that you've figured out ways through skills, through certain tools that you may have to acquire. And I say may because real top-notch level preparedness should not cost much money whatsoever. Uh, it's more of an investment in your time and skills than it ever will be an investment in your equipment. And I say that over and over again. If people are trying to tell you to buy a bunch of crap, that's exactly what they're trying to get you to buy is a bunch of sexy crap that'll make you feel prepared. It's kind of like addicted to certain type of Louis Vuitton or Yves Saint Laurent purses. You're going to look really good, but guess what? The thing holds your stuff just as well as a Ziploc bag but I know you're not going to wear a Ziploc bag over your shoulder, right? So fair enough. Point being is that the idea of preparedness is just positioning yourself so that when these disruptions come your way, you're able to navigate. And the last one I want to touch on is one that I think is so important, but so many people leave it out, is what this pandemic exposed was your income. And I say this again, I said it last week, I'll say it again, and I'll say it in future episodes. Your family, however you define that, need to have multiple lines of income. You need to not be sitting in a position where you are exposing yourself to the risk of losing your current employment. And that the only other measure that's going to keep you fed and housed is some type of magical government check in the mail. There's times coming in the future where governments are going to be elected that are going to intentionally roll back a lot of the benefits because they're unsustainable in the long term. Because you remember every penny that you are that that we send an individual in relief benefits has to come either out of a taxpayer's pocket or borrowed from a taxpayer's child in the form of printing money which we know when I've said on previous episodes, it, it doesn't work. The point being is, is that you're not prepared if your default is, I get fired, I have employment insurance. If that's your default plan, you're not a prepared individual. You're relying on the government being there and the government can choose not to be there, right? If you look at Canada and we have, it, we're, we're a great country, but in reality, we're, we're a bunch of regions humped together under this thing called Canada. Right now, the Western Canada is starkly positioned against our current federal government. You can see that the benefits are not flowing in programming to the workers from Western industries that are hurting. Those benefits simply are not being provided because the government's not in your favor and it's not elected from your part of the country. So we had a recent federal election like two year, almost two years ago and a couple of our provinces elected no liberals. There are no major programs rolling out in those parts of the country and I'm not going to say the liberal government's doing it as a punishment. I'm just saying that you're opening yourself up to a whole bunch of these potential 
events, and in the United States it's no different with Republican and Democratic governors and, and houses, depending on how the power shifts, self-reliant individuals, people becoming more self-reliant and therefore better prepared to disrupt events, attain and hold responsibility for their outcomes, which means you have another alternate source of income that can pay your bills if your major primary employment ceases. It's that old question that I ask people all the time. What is your plan when you get fired? Preparedness, thinking, you already know the answer to that. Right now, you know when you get fired, if you walk into work tomorrow and your boss terminates you on the spot, plan B is activated. It didn't cost you anything. It may take some time to learn some new skills on the internet, but as Elon Musk says, college isn't necessary because anything you want to learn in the world is free on the internet. I just use most of the time YouTube. But the point is, is that everything you need is there and it's ready to go. So there's no reason why you haven't defined other than your, you defined your second option, your second income, other than you making an active choice not to. And that's a preparedness question. And I say this about income because income is the support that drives so many other things. You can navigate higher inflationary prices in food if you have an income. If you have a very limited single source income that gets shut off and price levels are going up at 5 to 10% in the food industry, you now no longer have difficulty feeding your family because of the choices you made not to have multiple lines of income. And I don't care, my friends, I get roasted over this one all the time. I have multiple lines of income. One brings in like $330, one brings in like $420. But I'll tell you, I can feed myself on a dollar a day Canadian and you can feed any Canadian a dollar a day with all the macronutrients meant. It's not necessarily the most joyous food, but it is healthy food. It's real food. So you don't need an equal income to replace the other income. And I'll give you a prime example, and this is credited to an in, somebody that I interviewed for um, a project that I'm doing. And I'll stay with a Canadian example. In America, it's not all that different, but just when the suburbanites, when the middle class people got to tell the government of Canada how much money was required in emergency COVID relief, it came out to $2,000 a month. Almost no questions asked that most Canadians could get the first part of the pandemic. Fantastic, right? That sounds great. Good government. And I actually give our current liberal government all the credit in the world for that. But if your world goes upside down in normal times, guess what happens? You know how much welfare is? $700 a month. So when you're on welfare and you demand more money because things are bad, the government tells you to go pound salt and doesn't pay it any attention. But when the middle class voters come out and say, hey, I'm over here, I need $2,000 a month because I live a really expensive life, they get $2,000 a month. So again, preparedness is all about you as an individual setting up the systems you need so that you can take care. And I keep coming back to income because it is the support that allows you to access pretty much every other system that you need. So if your basic animalistic requirements requires $1,500 a month, you better make sure you have an alternate way to make $1,500 a month if you get fired tomorrow. And I'll give you an example and then I'll end with this. 
you get you have a job that makes three thousand dollars a month your basic requirements are two thousand dollars a month that's your rent your food your shelter uh, and potable water health and safety your basic animalistic requirements you know that your secondary job is going to take you about two months to get it up and running before it starts generating that two thousand dollar revenue so now you're in a position where you know that you say have let's go you say have three months in total to make sure that you're good to go your basic requirements to meet your animalistic needs are two thousand dollars a month you just told yourself you need a six thousand dollar emergency fund right you don't need dave ramsey to tell you how big your emergency fund is figure out if i get fired tomorrow how long before my my job that i've selected as the backup before i get up and running on that to meet my basic requirements multiply that by your basic requirements it's simple elementary math and you have your safety fund so if you were in that position you would need to have six thousand dollars saved and uh, you can save six thousand dollars it's all about you making a commitment now depending on where your margin is with your monthly income and your expenses that may take longer than other people but the point being is as preparedness you've taken the time to think your way through these things ahead of time you've come up with plans to deal with large principal events like I said not specific to the earthquake but specific to loss of your residence and you've taken necessary measures to take care of that you've done your pre-game you've had your pre-shake workout you're ready to hit the gym you're and the gym's going to show up someday you don't know when and it's going to be disruptive and you're going to be ready to go and you're going to rock and there's a lot of people believe it or not in this pandemic that launched things that have made them a mint of money and turn their lives upside down for the incredible positive because they looked at a situation they were prepared for the disruption they launched their plan b and they're good to go so thanks for taking the time to listen to us this week at inside my canoe head we're going to start up uh, another season shortly got a couple more quick episodes going to come out in rapid fashion and then we're going to take a bit of a pause and then we're going to jump into season three so thank you very much for all of your patronage and listening. If you got any questions, drop me a line at jeff at preparednesslabs.ca. Uh, give us a like, give us a thumbs up in whatever fashion you can on a review or whatever. And tell me what you, if you don't like the programming and you've listened this far, thanks. Tell me what you think. Uh, I read stoicism, so uh, you do not have the potential to hurt my feelings. Have yourself a great day. Wear a mask, get your jabs. Science works and we'll see you next time. Thank mm-hmm. you.